Thank you for being here today. For those who are here for the first time, welcome, welcome you. And if you haven't here, been here for a while, welcome as well. But I do pray that uh, you stay uh, after the service and we have a time of fellowship as we always do. And I do pray for you who are here, our brothers, our, our members, our, our, uh, our, our devoted our followers of Christ who, who has been here for, 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 uh, since the church started. You know, show your love to Christ, for Christ by welcoming our guests and being with, spending time with them as well. You know, I, I really uh, appreciate the, what, what uh, Ning, Ning shared earlier when she mentioned that we are not only, you know, to give, not just our lips, not just our minds, but even our bodies, we are to offer this to God. You know, we, she mentioned it at the beginning of our worship. That's why I encourage you that, you know, when, when we worship, don't hesitate to raise your hand. You're, you are not just offering your lips, you're not just offering your mind. You, you want to offer everything, including your body. And, and, and let us be confident in doing that. Because... I'm sure once you're in heaven, I think we'll even do more. We're probably going to be all on the ground, right? Facing face down on the ground before God because it's such going to be an it's going to be a, a very amazing moment experience being in heaven, seeing God's glory. Um, and I also appreciate what John said, and I want to mention that as well. That life is short, and even if you live to 100 years. You know, the only thing that matters then, if, if nothing in this world, your careers, not even your family, by the way. Uh, you know, you cannot, if your family are not believers in Christ, then, you, then, then, then this is the only time you're going to see them. But if they are believers in Christ, then they're going to be with you in heaven. But, but what I'm saying is that salvation and, you know, life, afterlife, it, it's really a personal thing between you and God and and. And whatever is done for Christ is really what only matters in this life because that's the only thing you can bring to heaven, you know, salvation of your family, the souls of your family, of course, and the things you've done for Christ. But our career, our money, everything else will be left behind. And that's why <laughs> I think that's really, I hope that's good enough reason to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, you know, whether in church or in our personal lives. So let's, let's continue with our journey with Paul on his second missionary journey. And uh, we're on the last, last portion of his journey now. We're, we're, we're now at the end of the second missionary journey. So... Uh, let me skip this past portion here. Jimmy, can you put it on the first slide, on the title slide? Yeah. So I entitled my message today, Corinthianize No More. <laughs> Corinthianize No More. And you'll understand why it's titled that way later on. Um, so this is based on Acts 18, verse 1 to 16. So let, let's backtrack a bit. In your, in your program, I'm going to give you an, a task because, you know, I don't want you to fall asleep. So, so I want you to write, those, there are eight blanks there. And as I discuss this, I want you to write down the eight key cities that Paul visited during his second missionary journey. And we're going to go sort of review again uh, what are the cities that the Apostle Paul visited, and just highlight what happened in those cities, okay? So walk with me here. So, so, so after Paul and Silas, uh, after they left uh, uh, Antioch, they went to this city, cities in Asia Minor, and one of the very first cities that had some kind of a, a mention in the Bible is the city of Lystra. So that's the first city on your list there, Lystra. Uh, this is where Paul met, met his his disciple, Timothy. So, by the way, this is a really good example for the disciple, disciple maker ministry that we have in our church. That even Paul himself, he was dedicated. He, there is this one person that he's pouring into. Of course, there's more, but this one person, uh, he was pouring into his life into to train and mentor in Christ. And that was Timothy. And that's where Paul met this young man named Timothy. Um, 
and he, and he joined Paul's team. So now Timothy, who are the team members there now? Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the three of them are now part of this uh, missionary team. And Paul tried to reach to that area, but what happened? God didn't want them to go to Asia Minor. Although there are millions of people there that, that need the gospel, but it was not the right time. And Paul, so he ended up going to the next city because his, God told him to go to Macedonia. So the next city he went to was Troas. And in Troas, T-R-O-A-S, uh, and in that city, that's where he met Luke. And so now Luke is now part of the team. So there's four of them now, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And, and from Troas, because it was a port city, they went across the Aegean Sea and went to a place called Philippi. Uh, and so that's the third city on your list there, Philippi. And in Philippi, uh, she, Paul and his team met a girl, a lady named Lydia. She was a businesswoman, dealer of purple. And also, Paul shared the gospel to the family, to the jailer and his family, Paul's jailer. Because in Philippi, Paul was imprisoned with Silas. And, and, and in fact, there was, a, you know, there, there was chaos to the point that, that the leaders of the city of Philippi wanted Paul to leave the city. Told Paul, hey, get out of the city. So Paul, before leaving Philippi, he had a chance to share, the, to, to encourage the church there. By the way, a church was started there. Of course, they met at the house of Lydia. And that is the beginning of what we call the Philippian church. And so many years later, Paul wrote to the church in what we know now as the letter to the Philippians. So sinulatan niya tong church na to later on. And so from Philippi, because he was asked to, hey, get out of Philippi, uh, Paul ended up going to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, there were large numbers of Gentiles. Many Gentiles believe the gospel. And, 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 and so, because of this, the Jews who didn't agree with Paul's message, they, they were jealous. And as a result, they created this mob of bad characters. The Bible says, you know, bad characters. I don't know how does it look like, but bad people. They ended up creating this mob, the Jews, and they ended up trying to, you know, they hunted for Paul. I don't know, maybe they wanted to kill Paul as well, but they could not find Paul. So there was chaos, and, and, and as a result, you know, uh, Paul had to leave Thessalonica had to leave again. And, and, and as a result, another church was formed there because of those Greek Gentile converts. And so, so Paul left Thessalonica. A church was formed there. And, and what happened is Paul left Timothy there. So, so you notice that Paul was leaving people behind because he needed someone to continue to teach those believers. So you have Luke left behind in Philippi, and Timothy was left behind in Thessalonica. And so Paul, after Thessalonica, he went to the next city. We're on the fifth city now. There should be five cities on your list now. Uh, we got Berea. Paul ended up going to Berea. What's, what's amazing about Berea is the Jews there, unlike the other Jews from the, Jews from the, different other, from the other cities, they were, they were, they were uh, rejecting the message Paul said the Jews in Berea were noble because they, they not only believed Paul's message, but they searched the scripture. They tried to confirm if Paul was saying was true. They made sure, Paul, are you really telling the truth? Are you really basing it on the Bible, on the scripture? Uh, we're checking this. We're checking this ourselves. And, and so these people were very noble because they studied the Bible. They read their Bible. They tried to find out the truth for themselves. But here's the bad thing that happened. Those bad characters in Thessalonica, they all went to Berea and, and, and followed Paul and Silas. And again, they caused problems there that Paul had to leave because his life is in danger. So what happened is Paul had to get out of Berea, travel by sea, and went to Athens alone. Of course, of course he was with other, other brothers, but but. In terms of his fellow fellow missionaries, they were now scattered. So, so Luke was is still in Philippi, and Timothy, who was in Thessalonica, ended up going to Berea as well, probably because there were more Christians there. He said, okay, hey, Silas, you might need my help. So Timothy went there, and so you got Silas and Timothy taking care of those believers in Berea. And Paul now was in Athens. At Athens, Paul started preaching again, you know, in, among the Jews, 
but he ended up preaching in the marketplace and he met Epicureans and Stoic people there. We talked about this last week and, and, you know, began to discuss with them. But the people in Athens, you know, they were very small, you know, very, very high society people. They're like, who is this babbler talking here? They, they, they were just interested in, in intellect, you know, in knowledge, but not really by heart. They were not interested in the gospel by heart. But they wanted to listen to him more. So Paul was given a chance to speak at the Areopagus. So there's this picture of Paul uh, painted by Raphael preaching at the Areopagus. And, and so, so, so in that place, he presented the gospel and talked about, he was talking about the unknown God. He used this as a, as a way to reach, to preach the gospel to these people who didn't know the Bible. So he said, the, the, the God that you say that you do not know, that is the God I'm going to preach to you. Because this was actually an altar. This is, by the way, in a, in a, I think in a Roman museum. This is actually the altar of the unknown God. There's many of this, prob- many of this probably in Rome, uh, even probably, oh, sorry, in, in, even, uh, sorry in, in, in Athens back then. And, and it's, it's basically just an altar because the Greeks liked to put images. But, but this does not have an image because they didn't know what this unknown God looked like. So... Because, you know, the, 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 the Greeks, as I said last week, they made sure that they didn't offend any god. So they made sure there's at least an altar there for a god that they don't know. Para hindi offend yung mga god na they're not, they don't know about. But Paul ended up sharing to them who is this unknown god, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, 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 so, and so, because of this preaching, you know, there were only a few converts, but eventually... So we're now on Athens, right? Okay, because of this preaching, uh, there were few converts. Uh, there was a guy named Dion, Dionysius and, and, uh, and Demaris who be, ended up becoming believers in, in Athens. But there were only few converts in Athens. And it talks about, Jesus really talks about this in Matthew 19. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because Athens was an affluent city and rich, probably rich, a rich city during that time. And you know, there's not a lot of converts probably in that city because, you know, they're so comfortable with their life. Got everything in life. You see many converts happening in those small cities, but not in Athens. That's why Paul didn't stay long in Athens. He, he didn't, there was no opposition, by the way, in Athens. There was no Jews trying to p- push him away or kill him. But he still left. You might be wondering, why did Paul leave Athens, such a big city? Probably because he was not winning a lot of converts there to Christianity. So, which leads us to our city today. And I entitled this, por- this portion here, I will, I will go to the Gentiles. Because this is what Paul said in, his, in this passage that Joey just read earlier. He ended up going to the seventh city on our list, which is Corinth. Corinth. And this is the last, basically, basically this is the last leg of Paul's journey. And, and the, the eighth city, I'm just going to mention it, he only had a quick side trip there on the way back to, uh, to uh, Antioch, is the city of Ephesus. Parang dinaanan lang niya ba? Parang just passed by. Stayed for a few, maybe, I don't know, for not too long. Then, then headed to Antioch. So now we're in Corinth. We're in Corinth. Okay, so let's go back to our passage now that Joey just read. Acts chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, follow, me, follow, me, follow with me as we read through this. Because uh, I'm going to give you some highlights what, on his experience in Corinth. So verse 1 to 3. After this, uh, sorry, verse 18, not 16. Verse, uh, chapter 18, verse, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. So, because, uh, so these two couples were from, from Italy. Basically, they, they probably live in, in that area, maybe in Rome or somewhere there. But there was, a, there was a situation where the emperor Claudius, so by this time Claudius was the emperor, he ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And so that's why Priscilla and Aquila, since they were Jews, they ended up 
going to living in Corinth. They ended up staying in Corinth. And, and it was now at this time that Paul was also in Corinth. And, and, and Paul went to see them. And for maybe for two reasons. The first reason was that because he was a tent maker. And, and Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. This was their business. Uh, and the answer to the question, what was Paul's business? Anong trabaho ni Paul? He was a tent maker. They make tents. Not the kind of tent probably we have today, not the one you use for camping. We have today. These were tents that people live in. It's like their houses back then. And Paul, that was his business. He was like, a, if today we, we can compare it with a contractor who builds houses. But back then they built tents, they made tents. And, and Priscilla and Aquila, that was their business. So they were able to have this business partnership. Uh, Paul, you know, helped them in their business and worked with them. And, and, and so, uh, so, so Paul stayed with Priscilla and Aquila. And in the process, he was able to... Uh, Continue ministry in Athens. So, so what he did is, he, as usual, like we've seen back in, the, in, in Thessalonica, in Philippi, in all the places he went to, he went to the synagogue. He preached the gospel first to the Jews, trying to persuade them. But here's the problem. When, when, so when Silas and Timothy, you notice it stated that Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, so... so at this point in time, Silas and Timothy began to join Paul in Corinth. So the three of them are now in Corinth. Luke is still stuck probably in Philippi because the Bible doesn't mention where he is. He's probably still in Philippi. But, but Silas and Timothy are now in Corinth. So they're all three, three of them are there. And Paul began to, to preach to the Jews. But, uh, you know, here's the problem. When he began to preach to the Jews, the, the Jews opposed Paul. They became abusive. And, and so what Paul did, he shook his clothes in protest and said to the Jews, because the Jews did not believe the gospel, did not believe his message. And you know what Paul told them? Your blood be on your, heart, on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Because you Jews, my brothers, you're not believing this gospel your blood be on your heads. Your blood be on your heads. We're going to go back to this later on what Paul is saying here. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so, when Paul left the synagogue, he went, of course, most logical thing to do. He left the, he left the synagogue. Where did he go next? To the house next to the synagogue. <laughs> Apparently, there was a house next to the synagogue. And there was a guy there, he's a Greek, uh, who was not, he was probably, yeah, he's Greek and he's not, uh, but he was a, a worshiper of God. It tells you that this person, though he was Greek, he converted to Judaism. He became a Jew by, by religion, but, but by blood, he's not a Jew. But this guy, uh, Titus, Titus, he ended up believing the gospel. And also, not, not only this person uh, becoming a believer in Christ, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household also believed the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believe, heard Paul believe. so there were also other Corinthian, uh, you know, Corinthians who believed the Lord, and probably Greek, uh, not the Jews, but the Greek uh, Corinthian. Now, you have a church in Corinth. With this, this were the very first, I would say, the very first members of the church in Corinth. And, and God encouraged Paul in saying, because there were a lot of people that opposed him, especially the Jews. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, Paul. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Paul, God, God encouraged Paul. Do not be silent. Keep on sharing. Keep on sharing the gospel. Even though you're being rejected, it's being rejected. It's being opposed. Because, why? Because God said, I am with you. No one is going to attack or harm you. I mean, God, I'm gonna, God is saying, promising Paul, I'm going to protect you. Because I have many people in this city. It means that God is already working in the lives of people in the city. And they're only waiting for the moment to hear the gospel. 
Those people that God is saying, I have many people in this city, doesn't mean that they're Christians. It doesn't mean that they're saved yet. But God is already working in the lives of these people because they haven't heard the gospel yet. For salvation to happen, person has to hear the gospel. It doesn't, salvation cannot happen by just thinking, hey, uh, I believe in God. Okay. It doesn't work that way. You have to hear and know the gospel and believe the gospel and accept the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make a stand to believe the gospel before you're saved. So these people are God. God is preparing these people, but Paul didn't know these people. But God is promising that, Paul, you're going to meet these people. And you're going to preach to them. And they're going to listen to you. And they're going to believe. And there are, there are many people like this in the city of Corinth. So this is an encouragement. So, so to answer those questions, what was Paul's business? Uh, tent maker. The two converts in Corinth, the first two converts, Titus. And Crispus, and what are the three promises that God gave Paul in Corinth? Because of the opposition, what three promises God gave him? What are these three promises here? One is, Paul, I am with you. That's the first answer there. I am with you. Second, no one is going to attack and harm you. And third, because I have many people. I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. Isn't this amazing? This is an amazing promise because if you are serving God, you can have that confidence, right? You can have that confidence knowing that whatever you, happens to your life, whatever you're going through, you can, you can, you can be confident in saying to yourself and, 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 and trusting God as well and, and having that faith and saying, God is with me. God is with me. And no one's going to attack me, no one's going to harm me. You know, that doesn't excuse you from being careless, but, but Paul is not going to ru go run to, a, to a, somebody with a knife and say, okay, God is going to kill me, I'm just going to run to this person like <laughs> carrying a knife. No, it doesn't work that way. But, but what, what, what we're talking about here is that God is in control of our lives, our life. And we can be confident that whatever's going to happen, if you, you know, God knows when our time is going to come, right? It determines that. It's not the doctor. It's not you. It's not even the circumstance. It is, it is God that determines that. And so we can be confident in saying, God, you are with me. And no harm or attack, I think can, no, no attack or harm can fall upon me until you say so, God. Until you allow it, Lord. And, and Lord, also, of course, talking about people um, uh, in the city that are, God is working on. It also tells us that, you know, when we're rejected, when you share the gospel, if you've experienced sharing the gospel, many times people would not respond to the gospel. But we should not stop doing that. We should continue sharing because time will come, that the moment will come when you find those people that God is preparing, ready to hear the gospel. You know, there are people in my life and Rella's life, in our life, that we've been trying to share Christ for a long, long time. Uh, in fact, uh, we shared the gospel with some of them, prayed for them for the past, I would say, maybe eight, nine, ten years, and, and tried to share the gospel. They're very close, very close, even hostile towards what, what I'm sharing. But this past week, out of those families that we've been praying for a while, they, they, they were our friends since, since the Philippines. We've known them for more than... I would say more, more than 20 years already. And they were our workmates back in Manila when we were working. And praise God that there are people that are responding. Someone is, has responded already and after a long time, little by little, positive uh, response. And so don't give up because God has some people in this city that he needs to hear the gospel. And so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. He stayed for 18 months, 18 months in Corinth. And, and, and so that's what Paul did there. And so eventually Paul, after leaving Corinth, he went to Ephesus and went back to, uh, to Antioch, leaving behind Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. You, you can read about it later on after past 
fast verse uh, 16. So, so let me give you a background of Corinth so that you'll understand the situation Paul was in. Then we're, let's do a walkthrough. Let me just skip this. Let's do a walkthrough the book of Corinth because years later or, or many, later on in Paul's life, uh, he wrote, uh, actually it was during one of his journeys, he wrote letters to this church in Corinth, which is known as the first and second Corinthians in our Bible. Many believe there's still, there's still one more. There's three letters, but only two of the, two of the letters ended up uh, in the Bible. But, but uh, first and second Corinthians are those letters that, that Paul wrote uh, to, um, to the people in Corinth. So, th so therefore, a church was also formed in Corinth. And so Corinth... Just, just uh, let's see if I have anything there. Nothing. No pictures. Okay. Sorry. No pictures. We're gonna we're gonna just do a sort of an overview of Corinth. So, Corinth was a major Greek city, and and it's not like Athens, which has a university, but but Corinth is like Athens in a way because they also value wisdom. Remember when we talk about Athens, the Athenians like to hear new ideas. It's the same with Corinth. The Corinthians also like new ideas. They value wisdom. And, and, and in Corinth also, there were many pagan tem temples like Athens. And, 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 and the most, uh, I would say, infamous of those temples is the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite. So that's, that's the answer there. What's the most, uh, I would say, the infamous temple, pagan temple in Corinth, the temple of, of Aphrodite or Venus. You heard of Venus, right? So Venus is the Roman name. Aphrodite is the Greek name. It's A-P-H-R-O-D-I-T-E. So even this temple, why is this significant to, to the Corinthians uh, and to our discussion when it comes to the Corinthian church? It's because this temple is a temple of immorality. At one point, it had 1,000 prostitute priestesses. 1,000 prostitutes in the temple. Um, and the reason why there are prostitutes there, because uh, this religion uh, uh, promotes and encourages prostitution in the name of religion. Basically, that's part of their ritual as a religion, prostitution. That's one of the things they do when they worship their, their, uh, their uh, idol, uh, Venus or Aphrodite. So... so so it was a very immoral uh, religion. As a result, the immorality of Corinth was also very, very extreme. So in, in, in ancient times, during the time of Paul, the word Corinthians or the word Corinthianize means sexual immorality. When you say to Corinthianize, it means to practice immorality. So when you tell someone, <laughs> don't practice Corinthian, uh, so, so don't Corinthianize. <laughs> don't practice sexual immorality. And so, you understand now the background of the church of Corinth. And who among you read the letter to the Corinthians? Chapter uh, uh, Corinthians 1 and Corinthians 2. Who among you read those letters? At least part of it. Marvin, Clay, I hope all of you read it already. If not, you read it. Oh, David, that's good. You notice what's in the book of Corinth? There is so much immorality going on within the church. So much immorality. Immorality that you cannot even imagine in our time. This was extreme immorality. Extreme. Uh, just to give you a walkthrough so that you'll see what I'm trying to say here. Let's, let's go to the book of Corinthians. I'm not going to show the verses on screen, but, but if you have your Bible, let's just, let's just go to quickly. Do, do some kind of an overview of the book of Corinthians, uh, letter of Corinthians. Let's do 1 Corinthians first. Let's go. For, um, just at the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, verse 10, you notice that Paul was talking about division within the church. They're, they're, they're having some kind of division. Some people are loyal to this leader, loyal to this other leader. Hey, I'm loyal to Paul. Paul is my leader. Peter is my leader. You know, there is these factions and divisions within the church. And, and if you go on to chapter 3, Paul saying these words, chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, 
I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. I address you as worldly, mere infants in Christ. You're like children. You're like babies. <laughs> I gave you milk, not solid food. I cannot feed you, you know, advanced teaching because you're like babies. You're infants. Uh, and you're not ready for solid food. Indeed, you are still not ready and you are still worldly. Since there is jealousy, quarreling among you, are you not worldly? How <laughs> many times Paul had to say this word? What he means is that you're, you're living like the people in Corinthians. They're practicing all this immorality and you're doing it yourself as well. You're living like the world. You're living like your classmates. You think like your classmates. You live life like your office mates or something. It's like that. <laughs> you're living like the world. As Christians, we are now different. We're not like the world. We don't think and live like the world. And said, are you, you're acting like mere men. Wow. Mere men. Therefore, we as Christians, we are not merely men. <laughs> we should not act like mere men or mere humans. And also in, in verse uh, three, chap verse two, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, he says that... Uh, your, your work has no quality. He said a low, very low quality, I would say. Uh, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stone, verse 12, chapter 3, um, uh, because the day will bring to light, it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. Meaning, he's telling the Corinthians, let your life be of quality. Because you are the temple of God. You know, uh, Ning mentioned this earlier. Um, do you know... Don't you know that you are you yourselves are God's temple? God's spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God would destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. Your life is sacred. It talks about us. Now we should not defile this temple, this body that has, God has given you. And how do you defile the temple? One example is in chapter 6. Listen to what. Paul is saying in chapter 6. I'm going to read this whole section. Chapter 6, verse 12 to verse 20. Follow with me. Corinthians 6, uh, verse 12 to 20. Are you there? Okay, sorry, I'm moving fast. Okay. Chapter 6, verse 12. Everything is per permissible to me, meaning I can do anything I want. But not everything is beneficial. I mean, as Christians, yes, you might want, you can do everything you want, but not everything is going to be good for you. Not everything is going to work out well for you. Everything is permissible to me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I don't want to be ruled by anything. You know, sin is a master. It can rule over you. It says here, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. But his power, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. But, don't, but you know, sorry, do you not know that your body are members of Christ himself? Shall I take then, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite with a prostitute? Never. Hear those words? Paul is telling them, don't unite with a prostitute because you are no part of Christ. And if you're going to unite with a prostitute, that's not a good thing. Never. Do you not know that he, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, there are, uh, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him and in spirit. Flee, listen, listen to this, flee from sexual immorality because that was the biggest issue in Corinth, knowing that there is this temple of, of, of Aphrodite and all the immorality going on in the city. Paul had to remind the, remind the Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against your own body. You're actually sinning against your, yourself. When you commit sexual immorality. This is very hard saying, te te teaching from Paul. Whom you have received from God, 
And you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Think about this. Believers, Christ paid for that body of, for your life. He basically paid for your entire life. Body, soul, and spirit. He died for you. And if you're just going to treat your body and treat your life like trash, you're actually treating Christ like trash. Because your, your life is not your own anymore. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to Christ. And you notice, this is what's going on in Corinthians. And even worse, I don't know if you read this already in chapter 5. There was a man here who had a sexual relationship with his own mother. That extreme. Although it was a stepmother, but still. It's extreme immorality going on in this city. And in the church, by the way. And they were, they were having lawsuits against one another. Verse 6, uh, chapter 6, they were suing one another. And that's why Paul is commanding them in chapter 7, if you're struggling with all these prostitutes, immorality going on in Corinth, this is what he said in, ver in chapter 7, verse 1, and, four, and, and so on. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry, okay? It's good for a man not to marry because you can serve God fully without any distraction from your wife or family. Of course, but Paul said, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman will have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, likewise the wife to, his, to, his, to her husband. <laughs> so if you're struggling with immorality and you're practicing immorality, then just might as well get married. <laughs> And let me just conclude the message. Paul is saying to us in this passage, in these passages in Corinthians, there's more. You can read it on your own. Let us not live like the world. Corinthianize no more. And, and immorality is just one thing. But there's still other things that we, that, you know, other kinds of sin that we deal with. But bottom line, let us not live like the world. Because this is what the Bible says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new has come. Remember, it's also in the, in, the, in the book of Corinthians. Because you are now a new person in Christ. Don't live like the world. So let me end in some, 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 some takeaways from this, uh, from this teaching. And as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's, Lord's Supper. What it means is that the values of the world is not our values and are not our values anymore. Meaning what your classmates believe, what your office mates think is good and right, they're not your standard for morality anymore. They're not your standard for what is right and wrong. It's not your classmates. It's not the internet. It's not your, school, your office mates. They're not your standards for what is right and wrong, what is moral and what is immoral. Bible says, do not allow yourself to be put into their mold. Don't allow yourself to be pressured into the mold, into their mold. Meaning the world has some, they have a standard on how you should live your life. The Bible says, no, don't follow that standard. Don't follow, don't, 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 don't fit yourself into that mold. Because what Satan is doing is he tries to deceive you in this way because the world seems to be very innocent and seems to be a good thing. Think about all the enticements you find in the world, you know, all the temptations. Oh, my, 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 my classmate has a boyfriend. Oh, I need to have a boyfriend because I'm the only one who does not have a boyfriend here or a girlfriend, you know, and you're still too young for that. You know, that's not the standard. If, you're, if, if you, that it's not God's time for you, then don't let your friends or classmates pressure you into that situation because... It's, it's, it seems to be an innocent thing. It seems to be, oh, wow, this is some, everyone is doing it. I, I, and I, I think, I think I, I'm going to be safe. That's what the world portrays. It tries to portray itself as, as safe. But you know, Satan uses that. And you know what Satan's purpose is? Is to steal, kill, and destroy. His intention is really to destroy your life. 
you know, an innocent look online, an innocent glance. Somehow, this is nothing. I, I, I will not hurt anyone in doing this. I will not hurt someone. It's only me. It's going to destroy you. Totally destroy you if you're going to be going down the path. Let us not Corinthianize. You know, bottom line, talking about, we're talking about immorality and, and sex because this is what this passage leads us to. It is only in the confines of marriage. Nothing more. If you are involved in that kind of thing outside of marriage, the Bible calls it fornication. If you are married and doing it with someone else who is not your wife, it is called immorality. And that is a grievous sin before God. That oftentimes in the Bible, if there's someone in the church who is serving him and involved in a public sin like this that dishonors God. You know, a lot of us, we have also our private struggles it's up to God who, how we're going to deal it, but deal, deal with it. But the, sim, the situation in, the Corinth, in Corinthians is that this man was having a relationship with his own stepmother. It was very public. And the church in Corinthians didn't do anything about it. There was adultery going on in the church. There was fornication going on. There was immorality going on. And the church did not do anything about it. And you know what God did to that guy? He asked the church to pray that this person is going to die. That's what God told the church. Pray that this guy, this person, is going, to be, is going to die. That's how extreme it was. And God is disciplining this guy because he was dishonoring the name of God. Of course, that person is going to be saved. He's going to go to heaven. But parang nakasabit lang ba? He's just, uh, just escaping through the flames. That's what the Bible says. Parang nakasabit lang. Pero... He's going to be saved, of course, because he's a Christian. He's a believer in Christ. How bad your sin is, God is still going to, salvation is, you know, you're saved, period. But if you continue to live in this kind of sin just like this, in dishonoring God, like this, he took the life of this man. God took the life, wanted this man to die. Even Ananias and Sapphira, God just killed them because of the, the, the dishonor they gave to God. So, so, let us be watchful of our life that we are not dishonoring God with our lives because God is not somebody you can just, you can just play around with. He's very serious when it comes to this matter. So, so if you're unmarried, keep yourself pure. Prepare yourself for the person that God has prepared, prepared for you in the future if you're unmarried. If you are married, keep your eyes to your wife your heart, your body, stay faithful to your wife. I know it's a struggle for men, and, and, and it's not just for you, but for me. And, and it pretty much every man, we are very, very visual. That's, that's one, of, one, one of the biggest weakness of man. We are very visual. And, and so it's easy for us to just stray away. But I hope this is a reminder for you. Keep yourself faithful to your wife. Unmarried, prepare yourself. Keep yourself pure and holy. Um, last two things. Paul told the Jews, because they didn't believe the gospel, your blood is on your heads. What this tells you, that if there's someone in your life who does not know Christ and you're not sharing the gospel, their blood is on your heads. You are responsible for that person's life. Think about this. If there's someone in your life who doesn't know Christ and you're not sharing the gospel, you are responsible for that person going to hell. That's what Paul was saying there. But once you share the gospel with that person, you are now removed of that responsibility or guilt. I've shared the gospel with you. Of course, if the person believes, praise the Lord. The person is saved. But if a person does not believe, you're not anymore responsible. You are now innocent. That's what Paul is saying. Because you now share the gospel. And now the responsibility, if the person did not believe, the blood now that was supposed to be in you, it's now in their hands, in their, on their heads. Kasi sila na nag-reject ng gospel. They are the ones who rejected the gospel. Now they are responsible. The blood is now on their heads. So that's why you need to share the gospel. Because we don't want to carry that responsibility. 
Paul also said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. And, and this is a promise for God for all of us, that He is going to be with us. And our life is not determined by our circumstance, by our health, by our status in life. It is determined by God Himself. He determines the beginning of our life, He determines the end of our life, and whatever happens in between, if you are a believer in Christ, He is with you, and He determines that for you. That's what amaz what's amazing about being in Christ. But now, our life is in His hands. We sing that song before, right? Life is in His hands. Let us come to the Lord in prayer as we prepare for our Lord's Supper. Um, let's, let's humble ourselves before God. Lord, uh, The lessons from Corinthians, oh God, is, is, might be too heavy for some of us, Lord. But this is the truth, Lord God. This is the truth. And this is the reality that we live today, Lord. The world today we live, Lord, it's similar to Corinthians, oh God. There's so much immorality going on in this world, Lord. It's similar to Corinth, Lord. And, and, and there's many instances, many circumstances in this world, Lord, that, that can just... Pull us into sin, tempt us to commit sin, Lord God, to be, that causes us to be distracted, Lord. Oh, Lord, we want your best, oh God. We want our prayers answered. We want your blessings, Lord. We want all the good things that you promise, oh God, that we receive all those things. We don't want to experience the, 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 the painful discipline that you, give, that you bring to those who are disobedient, Lord. We, want, we don't want these things, Lord. Much more, Lord, we don't want you to shorten our lives, to just end our lives because of our disobedience, Lord. Just like what you did with this man, oh God, in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 5, Lord, or what you plan to do, Lord. Lord God, help us to live holy, pleasing lives, Lord. To, to stop immorality on its tracks, oh God, because this is an immorality. This is a, a, Lord, this is something that you dislike, that you hate, Lord. It's something that dishonors you, oh God. We sin against you. We also sin against our bodies, against ourselves, Lord. And Lord, thank you for reminding us that we don't, we do not belong to ourselves now, Lord. Our life is, our life is not our own, Lord. It is yours. We belong to you, Lord. We are your people, Lord. You own us, oh God. Therefore, we cannot just do anything we want with our life anymore. We cannot just do any kind of sin that we used to do. We belong to Christ. And what he wants, what he desires is what matters and what it needs to be done. Because he is our Lord. He is our Lord. And, and, and his lordship is his rulership. He is our leader. And what he desires is what, follow, what we follow. Oh, Lord, I ask you, Lord, to just cleanse our hearts this, tonight, Lord, this afternoon. I, I pray that as we partake the Lord's Supper, Lord God, that we take this with a, with a pure and holy heart, that, that, Lord, we don't have any guilt in our heart. We don't have any sin that we haven't confessed. But I want to say this before we pass the, the, the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, the elements for the Lord's Supper. I want to ask this and confront you with this. If there's someone here today, if there's someone here today, you have not confessed publicly your faith in Jesus Christ. If you, you have not confessed Him publicly and have not confessed Him as your Lord and Savior at all. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand and, 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 and let me know and let the church know that I want to confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior and follow Him for the rest of my life. Don't just make this a private decision. Let me know. Let the world know. Let the church know that I want to confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to raise your hand if that's something you haven't done before. And if you haven't been baptized, I want you to raise your hand. I want to be baptized. Because if you're not willing to surrender your life to Christ, there's blood on your, 
on your head. You heard the gospel. You know the gospel already. You've been here in this church for a while. You know the gospel. But if you're not willing to surrender your life to Christ, blood is on your head. There's blood in, on your head. This church is not guilty of, of, of not preaching to you the truth. But you have to make a decision to surrender your life to Christ. So I want you to raise your hand if that's your decision. Just raise your hands. I want to see you. Just raise your hand. If you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord, I also commit my brothers, Lord, and sisters that you give us the strength to overcome immorality, Lord. With all eyes closed, let us make a commitment also. And this time I want you to stand up. Let us make a commitment to live lives that is pure and holy before God. Let us make that commitment that we will flee from any kind of immorality. I know this is not going to be easy and there are times we might, we might fall. But, but God is seeking that we are to make that commitment. God is asking, let us commit to live lives holy and pleasing. Flee from any kind of immorality, any form. Whether just looking at something online or actually being involved in adultery. We don't want that, Lord. So let us make that commitment. Let's stand up before God. If that is something that you want to do today, let's stand up. Let's make that stand. Let's make that stand before God. Lord, I want to flee from any kind of immorality. Let's talk to God. Let's talk to Him. Lord, set me free if I'm a slave, Lord. Enslaved by this, Lord. Set me free, O oh God. Deliver me, Lord, from any kind of immorality, Lord. Whether in the heart, in the mind, or in my eyes. Set me free, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for those who are standing, Lord. But also, Lord God, help me, Lord, to overcome immorality, Lord. Any form, any form of sexual immorality. Because this is the reality we see in this world today, Lord. And we are being attacked by this left and right, oh God. Our youth, our children even are exposed to this already, Lord. And how much more for us adults who are among people who are who think that this is normal. That living together is normal. It's not. It is sin before God. Lord God, let us be a church that's pure. And I pray, talk to God. Tell Him, Lord, help me to live a holy, honorable, God-pleasing life before you. Whether I'm with other people or whether I'm alone in my room. Let this church be pure and holy, Lord. Jesus' name.